Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. B -b -b bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. Fuck. B -b -b bullshit. This is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I'm as horny as hell, and I'm not going <laughs> to jerk it anymore! Yes, you will. Yeah, there you will. Yeah. Yeah. Ten minutes yeah. from now. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Bullshit Filter uh, for uh, the 20th of August. 2019 first one you and i've done for a while ray yes i probably huh. say that because i'll get in trouble yes uh but you know it's true and it true. uh here we are you've mm -hmm. i did a couple uh with trevor while you're away Kurt, i'm gonna yes. kill you and he introduced me to the idea of the ray soundboard and things oh. will never be the same now, we, right. we were supposed to have a guest on tonight. Uh, in fact, we were supposed mm -hmm. to have him on last week. Uh, Alan McLeod, um, author of a terrific new book uh, called uh, The, let me see, Propaganda in the Information Age. Um, and he was sick last week, so we postponed it to this week. And yeah. then he hasn't turned up. I did send him an email a couple of... I should have emailed him yesterday to remind him. Um, I sent him a couple of hours ago. Haven't heard from him. He's in the UK. It's probably lunchtime. He's probably... He's in Edinburgh. He's probably eating a haggis and uh, drinking uh, scotch and... Uh, yeah, passed out on a... Yeah. <laughs> do we want to cast dispersions on... Well, no. What's really going on is that they're still having festivals in Edinburgh right mm, now. And so mm. he's probably just partying his ass off right now. And I can't blame him. Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Yeah, there's that. Well, there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of other ones with that mm -hmm. too, yeah. Mm. So what we thought we'd do is uh, instead of interviewing Alan McLeod, uh, Ray is going to yeah. interview me. I'm just <clears throat> going to do the whole show in my Shrek accent. <laughs> Hootsman, there's a moose loose about the hoose, Ray. It's too early. Oh, you can't kick your granny off the bus. No, you can't kick your granny off the bus. No, you can't kick your granny. She's your nanny's nanny. She's your mammy's mammy. Oh, you can't kick your granny off the bus. Hootsman! Um, well, if he turns up, we will uh, uh, hook him in. Otherwise, I'm just going to do the show I was going to do without him. There you go, and yeah. maybe I can get him on. Or maybe I can get him on the line during the week, and and we can throw in a few bits and pieces. But um, you know, he he uh, a book. He's written a couple of essays in it. He interviewed Noam Chomsky for it, um, mm. and, and a bunch of other authors have written uh, really interesting articles on the propaganda. So, for those of you who have never read. Noam Chomsky and Ed Herman's book, Edward Herman's book, uh, from the eighties, uh, I think it originally came out. Manufacturing Consent. This book mm -hmm. is sort of conceived, I think, as an update to that. Edward Herman sadly passed away uh, in the last year or so, um, 
and and you know, I, I think Alan wanted to understand how the internet has really changed uh, mm. the propaganda model. Uh, have you ever read uh, the the propaganda model, uh, the manufacturing consent book, Ray? Have I ever managed to convince you to do that? I'm going to shock you and say no, I haven't. But after mm. going through uh, McLeod's book, he, he references it so much and breaks it down and stuff like that. Um, it's like reading a, a preview of it. But no, I haven't gone through the, 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 the details, I'm sure, those two gentlemen put together in that book. Mm. Look, it's, it's worth a read. It was pretty formative for me when I first read it in my 20s, I guess, my mm -hmm. late 20s. If you know my story, uh, if you remember my story, I was uh, fairly right-wing in my 20s, voted for our conservative governments uh, in Australia at a state and federal level. Right. Make, at Microsoft, you know, came from poverty, was making a bit of money, um, trying to pull myself up out of poverty. And... Um, and I heard, you know, a lot of people on the right who I was listening to or reading uh, um, uh, bad-mouthing Noam Chomsky, and I thought, well, I should right. read a little bit of this Noam Chomsky guy to uh, uh, so I could understand how to bad-mouth him and can, better. Can know. I ask a quick question? Hmm. So all the – for some of the – at that point in your life, hmm. listening to these people, was there a general message of, well, if someone's downtrodden, it's – pretty much their fault or it's partly their fault and they yeah. you know it's okay i was and, and did you buy that as a young man because you were you know listening to these people yeah yeah i did you know? and, i mean the, okay. you know the, the the model is well they just haven't worked hard enough um they're not trying hard right. enough they're not working hard right. enough uh and you know I, I was somebody who came from poverty no education i mean you know high school education public school um, and had managed to get myself into a situation where I was working at Microsoft in my sort of mid to late 20s, making a couple of hundred grand a year, driving a BMW, living... So you were a poster boy for, for that kind of attitude? Well... You, you pulled yourself up. Yeah, that was the way I thought of it then. Yeah, well, look, right. if I can do it, anyone can do it. Right. Um, right. I had alcoholic, abusive father, basically pulled myself up. But then, so anyway, I started reading Chomsky. Um, and mm. I think the first book I read was Manufacturing Consent. Might have been Understanding Power. Is that or, or Manufacturing Consent? I can't remember which was first. Uh, and went, oh, fuck, this makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, one shit. of those moments. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh. Wow, shit. Okay. And so, you know, I think um, when you're hit with that kind of uh, broadsword, when you have an ideology in your head, and and um, and I'd already been going through the process, as I talked about on one of our shows uh, last week, having been studying Napoleon for a few years mm -hmm. and realizing that, you know, there, there were lots of very different views on Napoleon for and against right. and and the truth was hard to define um i guess reading chomsky and herman's book and and chomsky's own work started to realize oh okay so this <laughs> this doesn't just yeah. apply to historical <laughs> figures this right. this applies to contemporary news so anyway what what chomsky and herman did and, and chomsky gives herman most of the credit i think for the model of the book and the outline of the book and he, um certainly in alan mcleod's new book chomsky 
gives Herman most of the credit. Um, They talk basically around the mainstream media and how it manufactures the consent of the people to support the programs of the big corporations uh, and the elite uh, Mm. behind the big corporations in countries, in Western democracies. They're predominantly talking about the United States, but it's true to, to varying degrees, I think, everywhere in the Western world. And, um, you know, I, I guess the big um, insight for me when I read the book was that the people who work inside of the media think that they are doing a great job. They, they don't think right. they're spreading propaganda. They're and, the rebels. Well, no, I don't know that. But they, yeah. you know, they have a very high opinion of themselves, of themselves as being <laughs> right. um, good, honest journalists with their integrity, right. their journalistic ethics and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I used to have this argument with my one of my ex-wives who was a journalist, and she would say, well, you know, no one tells me what to write. And if they sure. did try and tell me what to write, I'd leave. What, what they don't understand is, well, they the reason you have that job is because they don't have to tell you what to write and what not to write. You've uh, figured it out along the way. That's why you have yeah. a job. So they talk about, in this book, they talk about what they call the five filters. These are the five filters that have been put in place around mainstream media mm-hmm. that govern. They're basically the governing mechanisms, um, the limiters on the media that helps it run as a propaganda system. So the first is the filter of ownership. Uh, mass media organizations are big corporations. Occasionally right. they're, they're state-owned or state-funded, like in Australia we have the ABC. In England they have the, the BBC. Um, mm-hmm. But in the vast majority of cases, you know, you're dealing with major corporations. And, and the government-funded ones have their own issues. But let's just talk about big corporations. And sometimes those big corporations are themselves these days part of even bigger conglomerates, um, right. like a, a General Electric, uh, etc. And the basic end game of big corporations is profit. So it's in their interests to push whatever kind of narrative guarantees mm-hmm. that profit. That doesn't mean they won't allow from time to time certain amounts of critical journalism but right. to give to give the impression of you know free free voice free reign but generally that critical journalism that is allowed will uh, be a very very small component of the overall narrative that they're promoting. Mm -hmm. And by narrative, I mean not just the stories that are being run, but the advertising that's being run. And that's the second filter is advertising. So media costs usually, particularly mainstream media, costs a lot more to produce than consumers ever pay for it. You know, television mostly free outside of cable and streaming these days. Traditionally, we were used to television being free, certainly in the, the 80s when they wrote this book. Um, right. Newspapers, magazines, usually not free, but the, the, the sticker price on them is a lot less than what it costs to produce them. So the gap mm-hmm. is filled by advertisers, and the advertisers are paying for audience. So it's not so much that the media are selling you a product, 
like their output, their content, they are right. selling advertisers a product. Your it's attention, an ad delivery, ad delivery system. Well, it's a it's it's a customer delivery system for oh, advertisers. Right. It's what media was engineered, mainstream media in the twentieth century was engineered to be, uh, and and they go into a lot of detail about how this was de deliberately engineered in the early twentieth century. You know, if you go back mm -hmm. into the early 20th century, and I know we've talked about this, I think, in the Cold War show at various times, there was hundreds of newspapers in every city. Every every street corner had its own newspaper. Every union, every interest group had their own newspaper. Right. Um, but then what happened over time is, was a consolidation. The cost of ink, the cost of paper went up. Um, the cost of uh, the bigger newspapers went down. They, they, they were would sell them at a loss. Mm. Um, so if people had a choice of newspapers and one was a dollar and another was 10 cents, eventually people are going to get the 10 cent one, particularly if it has competitions and prizes and titties on page <laughs> three and all these sorts of things. And, and the, these pricing mechanisms right. were designed by the bigger companies that could afford to do it because they got more advertisers to drive mm -hmm. the little ones out of business. And, and the ones that could get, big advertisers were the ones that were promoting the narratives that the big advertisers want to promote it. You know, if you're a if you're a newspaper that's saying, you know, fuck the rich and fuck the elite and let's uh, have a revolution, kill the yeah. rich and uh, bring about socialism. Yeah. And then you go to uh, Coca-Cola and say, would you like to buy some advertising in a newspaper? Um, fuck yeah. <laughs> what? And then go, like, mm, fuck yeah, get yeah, out of here. Yeah, not sure. Yeah. Can I give it a miss? So that's the second filter. So um, mm -hmm. the first filter is ownership, particularly for, to, in order to own a TV station or a newspaper or a magazine, one of the bigger ones, uh, you, you had to be rich or you had to be a big corporation. So that already, there's a very small number of those that are going to be able to buy mass media. And they obviously right. have an agenda, which is profit. The second one is advertising. You have to keep the advertisers happy, so you're going to produce the content that is going to keep the majority of your advertisers happy. Mm. Um, the third is what they call the media elite. Um, right. The you know there are these people who know how to play the media game. They know how to influence the news narrative. They feed media scoops and 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 interviews with quote-unquote experts to the media they mm -hmm. make themselves crucial to the process of journalism and the people that are in power that are doing this and those who report on them right kind of know each other they 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 drink at the same bars it's a small world they go to the yeah. same clubs you know, the same gyms right. yeah it's a small world and and they they go backwards and forwards too they speak right. you know the stories that um uh, Trevor and I did while you were away. The bio on Boris Johnson is a cl classic example of that. He's moved between media and politics, um, right? You know, all his life, and sometimes doing both, being a politician whilst running uh, a, a magazine or a newspaper. Um, and there's plenty of cases of people who do that, or they're friends with the people who do it because they went to right. Eton or Oxford Same or school, Harvard right. or, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, let me just check my email to see if uh, nope and nope. Okay. Oh, somebody's chatting. Is that open conversation? No, that's you. Ugh, don't need to talk to you. 
All right. He's not here. We'll assume he's not turning up. Right. Um, the fourth filter is flak. So mm-hmm. if you if you try and challenge the dominant narrative, mm-hmm. uh, you will get flak. Organized, deliberate, engineered flak. So, for mm-hmm. example, and you do see this from time to time today, if a story is run that is inconvenient to the powers that be, right. you'll see the flak machine um, kick into gear. They'll try and discredit the journalist. They'll try and discredit the journalist's sources. They'll divert the conversation into other areas. You know, the narrative will get spun, and there'll be a lot of money and effort spent spinning mm-hmm. the narrative into, right. diff- into different areas. Um, classic, we've seen in Australia just recently over the last couple of months, um, after our most recent federal election when a fairly uh, conservative government was elected, mm-hmm. um, uh, they started, the federal police started uh, uh, raiding the offices of various journalists around the country. Oh, yeah. We may have right. done this, I think, on the show a few yeah. months ago. And when journalists were kicking up a big storm about it, uh, the politician's narrative was, well, journalists uh, aren't above the law. Journalists have committed crimes. They need to mm. be uh, you know, held accountable for those crimes. But the story wasn't about journalists committing crimes. It was about the stories of politicians committing crimes <laughs> right. that the journalists had reported. <laughs> but they're spinning it right. to, well, the journalists are committing crimes. And, and by the way, being arrested and being subjected to going through the legal process for doing journalism is right. another is another form of flack. It's a fairly extreme form of flack. Yeah. Um, but you'll see this a lot uh, uh, whenever a stray story gets out there that, that challenges the narrative. The journalists, the publication will get hauled through the mud and you do that enough and people are like, oh, fuck this, this is not worth it, right? I mean, for a journalist, you've got to remember, right. it's not really a religious calling, it's a job and yeah. it, it, the, and if you can pour lots of stress and pressure on them, it can affect their health, it can affect their marriage, it can affect their relationship with their children and their yeah. family. And, and eventually, if, if you drag them through the fire enough, they'll stop fucking bucking the narrative, right? Right. It's or they'll intense. get fired. The boss will call them in and go, yeah. listen, you're a pain in the Too ass. Much. Fuck off. Yeah. Or, they'll, or they'll resign. Right. Right? By the way, I talk yeah. about this a lot in my, my book. Um, talk about these these filters. It's, it's, it's a, mm-hmm. sort of a big part in the early chapters. Because when I'm talking about it, it's not so much of uh, the media filters. I'm talking about it as to why do psychopaths end up in control of organizations? It's because when, um, you know, good people in organizations are told to do bad things, Right. Usually, and eventually, they'll either try and fight it and go, no, 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 we, we shouldn't do that, in which case they'll get a lot of pressure put on them. They'll either get fired or, or they um, or they will quit. They'll go, you know what? I saw this happen when I was no. at Microsoft a lot, right? And uh, quite yeah. a few people, myself included, got sick of the bullshit and just went, you know what? I'm out. Fuck this shit, you know? Um, right. Screw that mess, as I saw Quentin Tarantino say recently. <laughs> uh, by the way, saw uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood today with Chrissy. We took a date day, took the day off, went, oh, out, yeah. went to a How movie. Fucking loved it. Fucking yeah. very, very different from your typical Tarantino. 
ah. blood and gore and fest. It's, right. it's a slower, sweeter movie, more like Jackie ah. Brown. People right. remember that 22 years ago, he made Jackie Brown. Everyone said, fuck this shit's not a Tarantino film. And he was like, hey, Quentin Tarantino, I make whatever movie I want. Shut your, <laughs> shut your fucking mouth. Um, very similar. You don't go into this. Don't go into Once Upon a Time expecting Pulp Fiction or Inglorious right. Bastards or, or, or Django or, or Hateful Eight. It's not. It's different. And Hateful Eight was right. different Good too. Like different pace, yeah. different feel. F- loved it though. Totally. We, we both came out. We haven't stopped talking about it. We loved it. Um, nice. So the fifth filter, fifth or final filter is what they call the common enemy. To manufacture consent, you need an enemy. You need a target. You need an enemy that people can focus on to mm-hmm. get to justify the things you want to justify to them. Now, when they wrote the book, they talked about communism as being the common enemy. Now, it was certainly true in the 80s when they wrote the book, and it's still true to a large extent today. And we've talked about this in our Cold War show. Um, yeah. All you needed to do in the US for decades was accuse somebody of being A, a communist, or B, soft on communism. That's enough. And you had them. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. there's nothing they could do. You basically, that was it. They tapped yeah. out, right? <laughs> uh, now, yeah. in the in the new book that Alan's written, one of the, when he interviews Chomsky, he said, would you change anything about the filters? He said, the only thing we changed today is the fifth filter is not really communism anymore. It's just the common enemy. So it's terrorists, it's immigrants, ah, it's uh, right. uh, Australians, if you're um, David Markham. At the, um, uh, it, it's a bogeyman. You've got a field. It helps right. you corral public opinion, uh, and, and it helps sort of focus people's attention and the, the uh, and their anger and all those sorts of things and get them to, okay, you want to pass a big military bill? Well, you got to go after Saddam Hussein. You want to pass a big uh, bill mm-hmm. for know, companies that build walls? You say the immigrants are coming, uh, whatever right. it is, right? Yeah. you got to make the people afraid yeah. so they go along with it without thinking. Anyway, I highly recommend uh, reading Manufacturing Consent and reading Alan McLeod's uh, new book, and he and he tells a good story. Chomsky does in the book. Uh, did mm-hmm. you did you read the bit about um, the first book that he wrote with Edward Herman, Counter Revolutionary Violence, and what happened to it? No, tell me. Well, he says that um, publisher loved it. They printed twenty thousand copies, um, but then the publisher was owned by Warner Brothers, big conglomerate, <laughs> now part right. of Time Warner. One of the Warner executives saw the advertising the, for the book and didn't like it. Yeah, and and then he asked to see the book, saw the book, went crazy, and ordered them to stop distributing it immediately. Wow! Publisher said, "No, how dare you? You 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 know treading on our independence as a publisher." Um, and they said they would they were prepared to publish a a critical volume with contrary views of it. Right. Um, but that wasn't enough. So basically, the guy at Warner Brothers just put the whole publishing company out of business, destroyed Fuck. all their stock, not only of the Chomsky-Herman book, but all of their books. Right. Just said, well... Just wiped them out. Just wiped them out. They were a division, Estadio. said, right, close you down. Yeah. Closed right. them down because he didn't want this book published. And they... Uh, Jesus, that's power. Well, that's... Capitalism, right? You, you have <laughs> yeah. a, that's flack, yeah. 
yeah. you have a it's a filter. You have a pub a publishing company that wants to publish something that you don't want out there. You just shut them down. Jeez. Now Chomsky says he he took this to the Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, ACLU mm-hmm. and they said, well, you know, it's a company deciding yeah. to destroy one of their divisions. It's uh, yeah. nothing we can do about it. It's not a civil liberty. It's not government censorship. That's just the way it is. Right. Now, you've got to realize that, um, you know, okay, so I'm going through this process at the moment of getting my new book published. I'm working with a publisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think they've read my book. So, <laughs> so, so far, so good. They kind of know what it's about. They read the first couple of chapters. I don't think they've read the rest. <laughs> Yeah, um, no. I, I can't. I can't, I mean, they've they've got a reputation as a bit of an alternative publisher, but I'm kind of half expecting them to email me one of these and go, uh, "Hello, uh, what? Yeah. yeah, what? What? <laughs> we can't publish this." But you know, if they do publish a book, and, and let's say the book goes out and it says, you know, um, people running business and politics and religions, are, a lot of them are psychopaths. Right. Um, they're probably going to get some flack. Uh, for that, yes, and then they have to yeah. defend that flack, and uh, then they may go, oh, you know what, Riley, you're a fucking pain yeah. in the ass, which is the story of my life. <laughs> no, they could have just asked me, but yeah. anyway, oh my yeah. god. <laughs> so um, go ahead. Sorry. Well, um, do you do you want to throw anything in there, or uh, will I keep going on my no. notes? I was just, yeah, please go, because I was just going to go with my first story, which is uh, apropos of the fifth uh, filter, but we can do that in a moment. Well, I was going to give people just an example that was front of mind for me in the last couple of weeks. Um, David Markham mm-hmm. <laughs> published a story. Sir David, thank published, you. Didn't publish a story, yes. Yeah. Sir J. David Markham um, okay. put a thing up on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. It was an opinion piece on thehill.com. Um, and he posted it on Facebook with a big spot on as his own commentary. Um, It was a piece entitled, Democrats cannot beat Donald Trump unless they simply unify. And it was was written by a guy called Douglas Schoen, who's a Fox News political analyst and a big financial (laughs) contributor to the Trump Foundation. Mm -hmm. So for a start, you'd have to go... Really? Like you're gonna take it face take on take on board anything this guy says about the Democrats? Um, but anyway, so the in reading this article, um, right. this guy was talking about one of the recent Democrat primary debates, and he wrote stuff like this. This is a quote. Progressive front runners Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders forcefully defended forcefully defended their Medicare for all proposals against moderate candidates who favour an incremental Medicare for all who want it plan that allows Americans to keep private health insurance if they desire. Now, one of the things that fascinates me about the US um, is is how they talk about progressive Democrats and moderate Democrats, progressive versus moderate. Right. David Markham always says he introduces himself to people he's never met. And he says, "Hi, my name is David Markham. I'm I'm a progressive Democrat." Mm-hmm. And I used to give him shit about that. I still do. Like progressive, fuck you're an old white man. You're about as progressive <laughs> as my balls, uh, which are just basically descending. Right? Yeah, um, hanging there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> barely hanging around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Now, in Australia, our media doesn't talk about progressive or moderate Labor members. Your Labor Party here is, um, and in the UK, is is our left, supposedly left wing party, like the Democrats are in the US. Here, it's more straightforward. They talk about members in the Labor Party as being in the left faction or the right faction. Right. It's not about progressive or moderate. Now, I think progressive versus moderate are very carefully chosen words. When you're mm-hmm. talking about your political leaders over there, um, because moderate sounds nice. Like what? Yeah, what, what, temp- trust them. what temperature do you yeah. want your bath water to be? Hot, <laughs> cold, or moderate? Well, moderate, right? Let's not yeah, get, let's safe. not get crazy. How 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 spicy do you want your chicken wings to be? <laughs> Hot, yeah, moderately so. Yeah. Lame yeah. or moderate? Moderate, right? It's it's yeah. it's it's yeah. the old. Um, it's the old uh, McDonald's strategy, I think. Uh, might be McDonald's mm. who first worked this out. You, when you go to McDonald's and you uh, you order a soft drink, and they said you want small, large, or medium. Yeah. Something like eighty percent like, of people pick medium. Right. It's a safe bet. Unless it's, you're in Florida, or- when it's just, it's just large. But in in most places, it's medium. It's it's yeah. I just I don't want to make any crazy decisions today. I'll just go with the safe bet, right? right. The medium, right? I think it's the same I'm with the way moderate is depicted there. Now, if if you depicted them as well, um, progressive versus uh, regressive, or progressive mm-hmm. versus right wing, um, or left versus right, as we do here, that right. has a different connotation. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you're mm-hmm. a, if you're uh, Joe Biden and you're a uh, right wing Democrat, <laughs> mm-hmm. or a, 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 you know, I mean, even centrist is a better word than moderate. Moderate's a very carefully chosen word, and I see it all yeah, over. You have to earn that. Yeah. Well, I see it all over the U.S. media when you talk about moderate, and it's very deliberately chosen to depict people that are probably further to the right than people who think of themselves. Like, Markham ah. thinks of himself as a progressive Democrat, but I guarantee you he's probably going to vote for somebody like Joe Biden um, because, uh, you know, uh, these people on the the progressives – your Elizabeth mm-hmm. Warren and your Bernie Sanders are considered a little bit, little bit crazy. Yeah, the fringe candidates. Later on in this article, the guy writes: "Indeed, far left policies such as Medicare for all and decriminalizing border crossings are not favoured by the majority of the American electorate, especially the independent and swing voters." Now, for a start, I'm pretty sure polling shows that he's wrong. I think the vast majority of polls I've seen says that most people are for Medicare for all. But far-left policies. Now, as an Aussie, the idea that Medicare for all is a (laughs) far-left policy is... It's a wacky idea. Beyond ridiculous. Absolutely. We've had it here for nearly my entire lifetime. 45, Mm. 46 years we've had Medicare for all. And nobody, not even our most conservative politicians, would ever suggest removing it. It would be political suicide. In fact, a few years ago, the craziest, probably, prime minister that we've had ever, Tony Abbott, wanted wanted to put a fee on doctor visits, GP visits. I think it was like $6 a visit. 
and, right. and people nearly strung him up. Like he, <laughs> he, he, he backtracked within like a week or two. Oh, it's like, oh, no, I, I was... I was misquoted. Yeah. Seven? No, I would never. What no. do you, I'd never have said that. No, I said we should int charge <laughs> yeah. six dollars uh, for that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Here's another one from uh, Fox News, which isn't so surprising. Dem governors fear down ballot impact of 2020 candidates' far left positions. It scares people. Oh God! Democratic governors are sounding the alarm that the increasingly far-left positions taken by the party's 2020 presidential candidates are harming electoral chances of down-ballot candidates. This warning comes as Democrats running for president have fully embraced numerous positions, including universal health care and decriminalization of illegal immigration that would have put them on the fringes of the party during the last election cycle. Um, there's an ex- there was a story I read on Politico that says President Donald Trump on Thursday accused his extremist left-wing opponents of ruining America's inner cities. There's a story in the Post-Journal. The two-night Democratic debate this week was portrayed as a policy brawl between the party's moderate and left-wings. But what we... not Mind you, not the right and left-wings, but the mm-hmm. moderate and left wings. Note the the propaganda terminology there. But what we really saw in Detroit were debates between the party's left and the far left. Right. Jeez. So they're not even saying the left versus the right wings of the party. They're saying it's the left and the far left. Right. The crazies and the super crazies. Hmm. Now, let me ask you this because... For me, this is articles like this are, are a massive experiment that obviously I'm not conducting, but I'm 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 watching it because it's interesting. As you as you just said a second ago, and as I have witnessed personally, because I used to work at a hospital where there are a lot of poor people that came because it was a cancer center and they had Medicare or Medicaid, whatever, and um, they were obviously you can't wait on cancer; you have to you have to attack that, but. The vast majority of people that I would talk to, um, conservative, Republican, rich, poor, whatever, the vast majority want some kind of universal health care in this country. And like you just said a second ago, the polls will support that. So I find reports like this who are trying to, I guess, with the um, drip, drip, drip effect, kind of move that line a little bit. So we're going to, I guess in the next election, we'll see, you know, first of all, who's going to be nominated for the Democrats and then what's going to happen in the presidential election. But I find their attempt to move something that is wanted by the majority of Americans to, to move it away from that. Just, I, I don't know, is that just ballsy? Is that just what you do? You try to convince people what to think, but I, I just find the entire thing an experiment that's worth watching just to see how powerful the press can be when they're when certain segments of it, like Fox and whatever, are organized and they're putting out these stories and just a little bit at a time trying to get you to move your position on something that you, for right now, know that you want. Oh, don't get me started on the Native Americans. Oh, Freaking my immigrants. God. Jeez, you know what I'm saying now? <laughs> yeah, well, look, this isn't this isn't a new experiment. This experiment has no, been no, going no. on forever, basically. Right. You know, there was. Um, so would you? Sorry, yeah. Would you would you say that if this experiment's been going on forever, would you say that they're the press or the right wing press or whoever is currently failing because 
the majority of Americans still want some kind of universal health care. I mean, obviously, they're not going to give up trying. That's what you do. You try to move people over so you don't have to pay for it. But if it is a long-term experiment, I would say so far, they're not doing so well just because of the people's daily lives and their medical needs are not being met. And they're desperate. So you can have your principles all you want. But when it runs into the cold reality of real life, people have a way of, um, for, I guess, in a, in a very narrow way, thinking for themselves. Yeah, but I, th- I think there's I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think um, you have to mm-hmm. realize that the the elite, the media elite, as they call them in the filters, don't always necessarily agree or, or stay in the one position. Ah, oh, gotcha. Okay. So you can have members of the elite that don't want Medicare for all and, and members of the elite that do want Medicare for all, uh, maybe for a variety of reasons. Maybe there are growing advertisers in the US, who companies in the US who would profit more from mm-hmm. universal health care than they do from the current system. So then you've got the big advertisers that are profiting more from the current system, trying to sway the media to that direction. And then you have big corporations that are going to profit more from a universal healthcare system, pushing the media in that direction. It's not, it's not always mm-hmm. just one thing that the wealthy elite right. want, right? So I guess the best we can hope for is to have the one percenters not always agreeing and sometimes doing battle with each other through the press. Well, in a general sense, that's the way it's always been. They never agree uh, on everything all of the time. What they do agree on is usually capitalism is good. Everything else isn't worth talking about. Uh, America is good. Nothing Mm -hmm. else is worth talking about. America always does the right thing in terms of American uh, foreign policy. And if it doesn't, if if it gets Mm -hmm. itself in a situation where it's increasingly hard to deny that it did something horrible, it was an accident. We didn't mean it. Um, Sorry. Whoops. We we had bad intel. Bad intel is what it was. Sorry we bombed your country. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But generally speaking, there, there are there are uh, there's a certain level of narrative, and uh, you know I'm not just talking about the US here. Like this is true of Australia, this is true of the UK, of, of England, it's true of, of Canada. I'm sure I'm sure it's true of Japan. I'm sure it's true of Russia. I'm sure it's true of all countries. Right? The mm-hmm. elite uh, tend to promote nationalism, national pride. Our country always does the right thing, and it's great. Right. Uh, and and if we do obviously fuck up then that was just a mistake sorry whoops uh bad heart in- was in the right place bad intel yeah, yeah exactly right um yeah. but then you but then you've always got in the elite in that one percent the the super wealthy one percent you've got different agendas and they mm-hmm. will they will fight out between themselves against those agendas but you know it's it's basically their agendas that are getting the the play uh, everyone right. else, the the, not, the agendas that the ninety nine percent want, <laughs> if they What's fall that? out of if they fall out of that, and there's been studies done on this, uh, mm-hmm. where it's it's very clear. I think the studies are mostly in the U S, but it's very clear that um, the policies that get up 
uh, as bills, as legislation, are the policies that are promoted by the elite, the corporations mm-hmm. and the lobbyists that they control, not usually the bills that the the people on the outside of the inner circle right. care about. Anyway, um, you know, there was a, a great article in Rolling Stone today by Matt Taibbi, one of my um, favorite journalists, because he's mm-hmm. funny as well as uh, <laughs> brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's prepared to attack all sides, which is what I like about him. He attacks the Democrats as much as he attacks Trump. Uh, he, you know, he was uh, sort of talking about some Trump rallies that he's been going to recently and did a bit of a story about them. But uh, I'm looking for the stats. Here we go. Um, a news media that pretends moral outrage will greedily cover his every move. Cable news profits have soared 36% since mm-hmm. Trump began his run four years ago. Now, wow. as, as I know we've talked about on the show before, four years ago, mainstream media's uh, Profits and revenues were looking pretty tough. Newspapers, right. other forms of print, radio, TV, uh, they were really struggling with uh, mm-hmm. fragmentation of audience attention over the internet, that kind of stuff. Uh, and and the biz- even if they had big internet properties, the business models of distributing news over the internet were very different from the economics of doing it in the mainstream world. And they were ma- the transition was difficult. Newspapers going out of business, television stations crumbling. Um, oh, yeah. Now, Trump has been good for business. So as Matt points out, and this is the first filter or the second filter, you know, combination of the two. Yeah, they're going to claim moral outrage, but they're still going to cover the fuck out of him because he's good for business, right? Right. Yeah. You will pick up something. You will click on something if Trump's name is in it. This is. Let me read this bit from Matt Taibbi because it's great. He says, um, Trump's political strategy is primitive but effective. He picks something that polls badly and kicks it in the crotch. Then he backs off and lets three <laughs> eternal truths do the rest of the work. One, a news media that pretends moral outrage will greedily cover his every move. Two, in a fractured political landscape, the so-called legitimate politicians, who are his main competition, will spend more time fighting one another than him. This is because intellectuals can't bring themselves to take Trump's dumbed-down version of politics seriously. Third, America's upper classes and their proxies in government and media have no capacity for self-reflection and will make asses of themselves in a fight. This is where Trump makes his living, getting people who should know better to rise to his bait. It's a simple formula. Incite brawls that seem like clear political losers, only to eventually maneuver controversies to his advantage. I think think that's a pretty pretty good analysis of the last three or four years with Trump in the limelight for this stuff, right? And I I don't want to jump ahead, but there was one part in uh, McLeod's book where he talks about, you know, at what point when the press makes a mistake, like, you know, mass uh, weapons of mass destruction, uh, destruction in uh, Iraq. Um, at what point does the press, if ever, pull back, have a think, admit a mea culpa, you know, we, we screwed up or whatever that. I, I guess because they're trying to be the voice of authority or or facts that they can't ever really spend too much time thinking about things they've done or admitting mistakes that they have made. Did you did you read that in his book? Why would they do that? Right. No, there's absolutely no reason for them to. But the point is, I mean, we all make mistakes. 
we don't expect them to be perfect, and yet they kind of present themselves as these are the facts, and and if we make a mistake, uh, we'll just put another story in front of you, and so you'll be distracted, and kind of like what politicians do, and we'll just move on. But the point is, the point he was making is like there's no self-reflection, there's no admitting mistakes, and they just go on and they just bombard you or distract you, and there's just no self-analysis at any time. And I get that there's no reason they should, but. Uh, it is a human institution, and I think maybe the people – I'll just speak for the American people – it might be refreshing to go, you know what? We screwed up on this. We apologize, whatever, but that never happens. Yeah, look, I think um, – I mean it does It does happen. Uh, there was this instance uh, after, after the no weapons of mass, mass destruction were found – in Iraq mm-hmm. after the 2003 uh, invasion, there, eventually over the next couple of years, there was um, a certain amount of questions being asked of media organisations like the New York Times, who led mm-hmm. the um, drums of war. Right. On that, the reporting of Judith Miller at the time. Um, and everyone was like, well, well, you guys were publishing the stories uh, that was sort of supporting the Bush administration's allegations that Saddam ha- was developing weapons of mass destruction and was an, an imminent threat, etc., etc. What the fuck? And they eventually went, okay, so Judith Miller's source, who was anonymous, turns out that her source was right. the Bush administration's source. Uh, that the Bush administration gave to her as a source, basically. So the Bush administration wanted to invade. They gave New York Times a source. The New York Times says, hey, we've independently verified what the Bush administration is saying from a source. Turns out the source, Shalabi, um, was, you know, a guy who was been exiled out of Iraq, um, hated Saddam Hussein, had been plotting for a decade to get the U.S. government... Like we like we were talking about uh, Singman Rhee in uh, mm-hmm. Korea, right? Plotting right. for decades to get the American government to overthrow the incumbent and install him as the president, which Shalabi oh managed God. to do. He, he didn't stay in power long, but um, so when that happened, the New York Times did a mea culpa, threw Judith Miller under the bus, blamed her. Right. How many years of- later? Yeah. Well, yeah, and then they were like, you know what? Uh, we've re- we fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. We really should have checked our sources, our stories better. N- never again. You know, we'll never do that again. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Until until the next time. Yeah. And, and then we will <laughs> until yeah. you know, you name it, like Venezuela and Iran and the whole thing, because again, their business model is the the filters say. They're big mm-hmm. corporations that exist to make a profit, and so they're gonna and, and so they're gonna promote stories that'll make them a profit. What's gonna make them a profit? Well, um, you know, plug in stories that that spread fear because people right. pay attention more to the news when they're scared. Uh, if they yeah. think if they think there's a the plague has just broken out, or if they think uh, you know you're about to get invaded by uh, poor Mexicans. Yeah. Um, people tend to read them. If, if you're like, hey, listen, nothing to worry about this week. Everything's great. Everything's under control. We're, the, yeah. lu- we're yeah. the luckiest generation of people that have ever lived in the entire history of the human race. 
uh, right. go go smell the roses. No one's going right. to read. No one's going to pick up a paper for a week. Right? No one's going to watch right. the news. If you say "Holy uh, fucking shit!" Any the minute is now, about to collapse. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, if you chicken little it, people are like clean, they're on the edge of their seats, yeah. uh, waiting for the oh waiting for the shooter drop. Um, so that's good for business. And, and secondly. Uh, you know, they they got to promote stories that are good for their advertisers and their advertisers, as we've explained on the economics episodes of our Cold War show and, and on this mm-hmm. show from time to time, a large, a massive chunk of the U.S. economy is driven by the permanent war economy. Yeah. Massive chunk of the U.S. economy profits from being in a state of permanent war. Those companies... Yeah advertise, spend money on advertising, they spend money on lobbyists, they spend money on PACs, political action committees. So mm-hmm. the media, they're not dumb, they're in it to make a buck and you've got to keep those advertisers happy and so you've got to promote the stories that those advertisers want to see promoted or else they'll take their money to the media company that does. Right? They'll move their budget around. Yeah. I want to uh, I want to talk about another thing I read uh, a week or so ago. There was an analysis on this whole far left thing on media matters. Cable news channels used variations of the label far left or extreme in discussions about Democrats, progressives and their policy ideas six mm-hmm. times more often, six, over six times more often than they used variations of the label far right or extreme while talking about their conservative counterparts wow over a four-week period cnn msnbc and fox news discussed extremism on the left or right a total of 547 times 86 of 86 percent of these instances framed the american political left as extreme this trend is in stark contrast to data showing that the republican party is further away from the political center than the democratic party and it leaves viewers misinformed about each party's position by lending undue credibility to the right-wing talking point that democrats are extreme damn and so, has anybody going to pay attention to that? Are they just going to go, yeah, those are the words they use to describe them? Because they are extreme. Well, if you, if you, I mean, no one's going to read the Media Matters thing apart from me, but. Right. Uh, and I guarantee you there's no coverage of that. And I guarantee you the, the cable news channels or the news channels in general, if they. If they did see this, they know what they're doing. They don't give a shit. They're like, fuck yeah, <laughs> boom, boom, you know, party time, pop a bottle of champagne, yeah. man. We made it work. Right. Uh, you know, but it's this kind, this is the propaganda model at play, associating extremism, 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 <laughs> fucking late yeah. at night yeah. here. It's my opposite oh, excuse to usually, yeah. you, you, it's what, 7.30 there, it's 9, 10, yeah. 10.30 here, Yeah. p.m. Um, the, uh, and I'm all out of cigars. So normally, right. by the, by the be- way- Bad news, everyone. No more podcasts. Uh, <laughs> Until I get more cigars. I'm out of cigars. Yeah. Right. I can't. Yeah. I They're can't, on the way. I can't work. Oh. Are Shoot they... the moon. Shoot the moon. They're on the way. <laughs> like in the mail on the way, or you've got yes. them in a box no. somewhere in your They're... house on the way? The post office has them in a box somewhere at a facility. So, mm-hmm. shoot the moon. Yeah. 
yeah. I don't know what that means, but thanks. Cheech and Chong. Yeah. Oh, never mind. No. Don't worry about it. Um, how long ago did you take him to the post office? Huh? When when what? when when did they go to the post office? <laughs> uh, yesterday. <laughs> All right. No podcast for two weeks then, people. Sorry. Um, that's... Oh, I'm going back on vacation then. Yeah. we be going back. <laughs> You're on a permanent vacation, motherfucker. <laughs> Couldn't even look at the paintings for the for the Renaissance uh, show. But you I enjoyed the process. You I don't have a very- you don't have a job. What do you do all day? I'm going to go with hobbies. Hmm. Okay. Napping, whiskey, dog. I should stop paying you. Then the podcast will become your hobbies again. That's true. Then you'll give them attention. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. There you go. Uh, So if you tell people, if you associate the word extremism (laughs) with Democrats... Uh, often enough, was it all? Was it old Goebbels thing? You tell a lie long enough and loud enough, and it becomes accepted as truth. Exactly. Uh, and here you have now they they don't they didn't give me a breakdown. Maybe they did give a breakdown between these two. But you know, I always hear MSNBC is supposedly a, a left lefty news organization. Here, oh, mm-hmm. here is the breakdown. Okay, so uh, MSNBC. Uh, used uh, far left or too far, so far left, extreme extremist left combination of one mm-hmm. of those with Democrats mm-hmm. 140, uh, sorry, 104 times in the mm-hmm. period that uh, Media Matters analysed over a four-week period. They used the equivalence for Republicans only 27 times. So MSNBC. Wow. Not even close. A cable news channel that... right. People think is mm-hmm. left um, uses that terminology four times as often when talking about Democrats as, as they do uh, with Republicans. Uh, CNN was about three times as many left versus right. Fox News was about ten times as many. Two hundred and seventy left versus twenty six right. Interestingly, they're all about the same when it comes to the right. 24, CNN, 26, Fox News, 27, MSNBC. Big big variation in, uh, uh, well, actually, CNN and MSNBC are about the same. Both around about 100. Fox News, about 270. But still, so when, you know, I always laugh when people go, well, uh, you know, MSNBC said blah, 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 and they're a lefty. Fuck off. They're not lefty. They're owned (laughs) owned by General Electric, motherfucker. Like, they're not lefty. But that's their perception. Yeah. Um, But isn't isn't that clever of them? We have a reputation for being a lefty organization. So if we say stuff like this, if we attack the left, then maybe we're being honest you know, I mean, if it, it, it's like, you know, the devil's in the details, that's if that, if that is something that's being done on purpose, that's pretty clever. Um, mm. So it's amazing. Actually, MSNBC is owned by Comcast these days. Mm-hmm. But the point holds. What a Comcast own apart from that. I know they own a lot in the South, but I don't know. I see their name. Yeah. What's that? The, the greatest trick the devil, devil ever pulled is to convince you he doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So if they can, you know, that it's the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it used to be owned. I think MSN, uh, NBC used to be owned by uh, 
GE. And mm-hmm. then at some point... Uh, oh, there you go. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. 2009 deal. GE spun off NBC. GE maintained 49%. Comcast owned 51%. For Vendia mm. to sell their stake. And... Uh, then Comcast, 2013, Comcast bought GE out. So Comcast owns it now. Yeah. Deal, point is, big fucking corporation. Uh, exactly. MSNBC. Yeah. So uh, another, there's another uh, interesting quote from this um, same Media Matters article. Recent polling from NPR slash NBC slash Marist College of national adults shows the American people support many of these positions with majorities. 70% of respondents think a Medicare for all plan that supplements private insurance is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, that guy on uh, the Hill said mm-hmm. uh, people don't uh, people don't like it. Um, yeah, it's extreme. Not, not, not favored. Not favored by the majority of the American electorate. Well, not according but- to this survey. Uh, right. Likewise, respondents believe that a pathway for citizenship for undocumented immigrants, 64%, the Green New Deal, 63%, and a Warren-style wealth tax on high-income earners, 62%, and free college mm. tuition at state schools, 53%, are all good ideas. So Damn. if you have 50 60 70% of yeah. American adults... Agreeing <laughs> thinking that these are good ideas, they're not even far left. They're exactly their centrist views. Yeah. All right. Well, um, there you go. That's uh that's the show. Uh there's a moose loose about the hoose for Alan McLeod. I'll try and get Alan on at some point to uh chat anyway, but there you go. We've just done the story without him. Um Yeah. Uh, we'll be yeah. back next week with more bullshit filter. Hope you hope you uh, enjoyed that, Ray. And uh, thank you for your uh, overwhelming contribution to the conversation. As uh, always, by that I mean get, getting out of bed and putting some pants on. <laughs> uh, if you did that, no, much. no pants, no, no pants. Of course not. No. Um, it's just different. I am so button bothered right now. How dare you, sir? I want a threesome with two NFL cheerleaders. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, if I could get my hands on Putin. Maga, maga. And we'll be back uh, next week with some more bullshit.